Hello and welcome to the True Blue LA podcast. The Dodgers are 79 and 41 after going 5 and 1 last week, and they have a 19 game lead on the NL West. I'm <laughs> Jacob Birch with Dodgers expert Eric Steven. Hello. You're expert in a lot of things, but I think the Dodgers even more so than Weird Al. Mm, and we're going to talk we're going to talk about him uh, near the end of the podcast. The Dodgers uh, went 5-1 and one with excellent starting pitching, uh, down and then kind of up and up offense, uh, and a pretty good bullpen performance with one name having a little bit of trouble. And we're going to talk about all of that after an ad break. But before we do, I need a Cody Bellinger update, pace update. He homered uh, twice uh, this last week, uh, and he's now up to 38 home runs, one off of his uh, career high set as a rookie. Uh, 51 home runs, 120 RBIs are his current uh, pace. 120-50 would be a nice, clean season. I like clean numbers. I like it. Well, we got to do an ad break, but we've got a lot of Dodger news to catch up on after this. We did an episode last week where we kind of caught up on some listener questions because we didn't have much to talk about. We have a lot to talk about here. Not only did we had a full week to talk about, including a, an iffy Kinley Jansen performance, which he's had all year, but it seems like the, the the gravity of the situation is sort of coming to a head. And we also have September and even the playoffs to kind of look look ahead to, considering how well the Dodgers are doing. Right. And like what they did this last week were, um, you know, they basically played two playoff contenders, the Cardinals more so than the Diamondbacks. But um, the Diamondbacks finished the week at 500, which by NL standards puts them in playoff contention. So... Yeah, at least on the fringe. Um, and it's it's so, so interesting to me, and we're yeah. gonna, we have a question from Craig at the end of the episode, and we'll talk about it more in depth there, but the difference between fighting for the NL wild card and probably out of it is like a game. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and exactly. Right. There's like, so many teams bunched up there. Like the Diamondbacks, for instance, their, their playoff percentage is below 10% on like fan graphs this morning, but like they're still, you know, re- within relative striking distance, you know? Like three games out, basically, of a, of the wild card spot, which is nuts. Which means basically you just have to get hot. But the fact that the Dodgers beat them two out of three just opened up a little more distance. You mentioned they, they're leading by nineteen games. It was a five and one week. Uh, it was an eight and two homestand. They the Dodgers. Uh, you were there for one of the games earlier in the season. They were swept by Cardinals in St. Louis in four games. They returned the favor in in Los Angeles last week in three games with a sweep. Um, and now they're forty-eight and sixteen at home. Uh, so, like, they're they're kind of we're talking about like closing in. Uh, you know, here the the Dodgers uh, in since moving to LA, their home their record for home wins is fifty-seven. They set that in two thousand seventeen. Which, as a reminder, that team also set the LA Dodger record for most consecutive home losses with with nine. Uh, so it was a very weird year um, to 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 tie that. This year's team would have to finish nine and eight in their last 17 home games. Certainly seems doable, but remember, uh, it's uh, the end of August and into September was when the Dodgers had that crazy losing streak two years ago. Anything can happen, so you just sort of bank the wins when you can, when you can get them. The franchise record for home wins is 61. It was set in 1899. If you want to go modern um, baseball, which is basically 1901 to present, uh, it's 60 wins in 1953. Uh, to get to the 61 mark, they'd have to go 13 and four. Certainly plausible with how they're doing it, but they they win three out of every four, so they're basically on like a 61 
win pace right now. So they're they're like in line to have like the possibly the best home season in franchise history. Uh, if you look at it like MLB wide, in the last fifty years, um, there's only been uh, three teams get to seven fifty a seven fifty winning percentage at home. The seventy five Reds uh, have the NL record with sixty four home wins in a season. They were they were seven ninety at home. The ninety eight Yankees, which won hundred, they won one hundred fourteen games. They were sixty two and nineteen at home. That's seven sixty five. And then the ninety five Indians strike short in the year, but they were fifty four and eighteen. That's that's seven fifty. That's right where the Dodgers are now. So, like in the last, literally in the last fifty years, the Dodgers are, are literally putting up one of the best home records in baseball. They're forty eight and sixteen. The Astros, who the the Dodgers are basically like in this like uh, kind of you know nose to nose grindstone uh, performance or, or battle for the best record in baseball. And it's basically the Astros and the Yankees and the Dodgers right now. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers have a, a one game lead uh, after Sunday uh, on both teams, uh, both Houston and New York. But like, if you look at Houston, they're, um, uh, they're 40. Uh, what is it? I think they're 43 and 15 at home. So like they're, they're right there with almost what the Dodgers are doing. Not quite, but still, uh, so it, it's been a it's been a very good year for home home wins, and how well they do at home, and really their overall record. It'll be interesting to see. You mentioned they're in that competition for potential World Series uh, uh, home field advantage. How do they balance going for that versus really using sort of the the house money games after they clinch, which uh, could happen really really soon? Uh, how they do that. Um, like trying out the, the younger guys or the less proven guys to see who's going to make that 25 man roster and just resting some of their better players. They're definitely going to do a lot of that. Um, uh, they've already sort of started doing it with the bullpen a little bit. And for some of the other roles, like they've, they've optioned uh, Dylan Floro. They've, they optioned Casey Sadler. Not that he was like for sure a postseason guy, but the, Roberts basically said, we want to give some, um, you know, people a chance to sort of, you know, basically audition for bullpen roles at this point. So um, you'll, that's what you'll sort of see. Also, um, I think their main, they're going to want to just make sure the main like rotation guys are healthy and they're going to make sure the, the regulars are rested. Like I, I would imagine Justin Turner seems like a guy who would get a little more regular days off in, in a, um, in a September perhaps, although he's been heating up, so maybe not, but uh I think they're not going to like just completely like shut it down, you know, but they're going to basically like be judicious and give off days, give extra rest when possible. Um, but at the same time, just make sure everyone's ready for October. And they're, they're already kind of doing that, but I think we're going to really see it as they close in on clinching the NL West. And we're talking about that in August 12th. Right. This is, conversa- that's the this thing- is normally the conversation we talk about maybe so like September 10th. Like, right, you know, with two to three weeks left in the season, maybe the Dodgers are doing well enough to be able to do that. It's around the time we just, um, maybe a little earlier in 2017. It's August 12th, and we're already talking about how quickly they're going to transition there with a magic number of 25. 25 right now. And and it gets to the point where it's, it's like, not inconceivable that the Dodgers could clinch a play, uh, clinch a division in August, which sounds ridiculous. Like, uh, the earliest clinch ever uh, of a playoff spot is the 98 Yankees. Uh, they clinched a playoff spot on August 29th in 98. That's the year they won 114 games. Um, 
it's it's not likely like they their magic number is 25 you basically they they have 18 games left this month the d-backs have 18 games the last three of the month are against the d-backs so those are double ups but the Dodgers basically need 25 of those 36 outcomes to go right. So that that's a tough ask. Like even if the Dodgers get hot, like if they won, uh, let's say, what if they have 18 games, let's, if they go like 14 and four, they still have to have the Diamondbacks go like eight and 11. You know, not not the easiest thing in the world, but like this also it, it just precludes yeah. a, a Rockies hot hot streak, right? Because otherwise, the number flips. Well, except the Rock- the Rockies are, are the Rockies are six games behind the D-backs right now. They're they're terrible. Like, uh, excuse me, they, gi- I'm Giants. Giants. Yeah, I apologize. Well, yeah. So the, yeah, they're they're the ones who are like right there. There. So the Diamondbacks are exactly 500. The Giants are one game under 500. So yeah, like one of those teams could hop the other. Like the Dodgers' magic number over the Giants is 24. So like it's it, kind of the same thing. But yeah. So what this is like kind of all pointing to is. August, maybe not so likely that that three game series or that series against Arizona at the end of August, it ends on Sunday, September 1st. That's in Arizona. After that, they have a six game homestand. That's really looking like the prime sort of clinch week, uh, if you will, uh, for the Dodgers. So they play the Rockies and the Giants. Um, I sort of mentioned, I think I mentioned this before, my brother is, uh, from Baltimore is visiting that week. We, I think uh, the three of us, my three brothers, are uh, going to be going to the Friday game. So for selfish purposes, it would be cool if the Dodgers would clinch that day because it's the game my brother will be at, and so that would be kind of neat. But it, it's all kind of lining up for that that week, I think, to clinch. But uh, they're gonna, it's going to happen at some point. We mentioned this, the earliest clinch date for the Dodgers ever was September 8th. That was in 1955 when they uh, started out the season like 22 and two and basically lapped the field. But remember that was just, there were no divisions. And so it was, they, they clinched the pennant uh, on September 8th, which was ridiculous. So we're going to see another ridiculous clinching date at this time uh, or th- at some point this year, but it's just a matter of when. It'll be interesting to see how soon we start talking about a, a pennant magic number for the Dodgers when they are going to class, maybe not, probably not world series, um, home field advantage because that's going to happen probably near the very end of the year, but they have a sizable lead in the NL as well. Nine games over the Braves right now, and there's not really anyone close. Uh, after that, the Cubs have the best, the, the third best record, and the Dodgers are 14 games better than the Cubs. <laughs> so like, so yeah, it, it's and they, they the Dodgers play the Braves like this week uh, uh, in Atlanta over the weekend, so like uh, they could put some more distance there as well. We've been talking a lot about the the last couple of months of schedules. We have a whole new year of schedule to talk about. Yeah, like we're although we're looking forward, uh, the twenty twenty schedule is out, so it's time for some hindsight. What? No, I don't know. That joke didn't work. Um, so the I I love schedule day. Like it, you I know, you it. just sort of you just sort of like oh like what what when do they do this? It's you know. Uh, so the the bottom line is the the Dodgers open at home again next year. They play the Giants. It's another. It's a Thursday start. That's basically the new sort of um, rubric for the schedule. Uh, it's but it's Thursday, March twenty sixth, which would be the earliest um, you know normal uh, start date to a season. Not counting like some of the international things that have been sooner. But um, yeah, Thursday, March twenty sixth. It's a it's only a three game series though. Uh, they have the Friday off. 
which is it's weird. It's it. I mean, you see this all around MLB, but it's usually in cold weather cities. Um, there's only seven games as you know, there's a, you know, a normal day has 15 games if everybody plays. So there's only seven games that Friday, but, um, the fact that the Dodgers are off like in Los Angeles at that time, it, it's a little weird, but it is what it is. They, um, they close the season on the road, uh, in, uh, San Diego. Uh, so, uh, that kind of thing, they, they play the AL central, uh, next year in um, interleague play, they let's see they they host the Indians, Tigers, and Twins. The Twins are the team that gets the the, the two double two. two game series. Yeah. yeah, so they the Dodgers also go to Minnesota, and then they also um, go to Kansas City uh, to visit you and mm-hmm. uh, and to Chicago to play the White Sox um, in September. Um, and it's actually like. It's I I always kind of I don't think they would ever I don't not sure if they would ever do this but it would be cool to have a Cubs and White Sox road trip <laughs> where you just stay in Chicago the whole time but like um, the the Dodgers are in the in Chicago to play the Cubs like I think a couple weeks earlier than that so a couple quick trips to Chicago for them uh, uh, over the course of that road trip but uh, the Dodgers also play the Angels uh, two games each uh, one of the weird uh, Angel series is. The weekend before the All-Star Game, the Dodgers are on the road, as is custom for the team that's hosting the All-Star Game. That week before, like, MLB is, like, doing stuff and making sure the stadium's ready. Uh, plus, the Futures game is on the Sunday. But uh, the Dodgers are in Anaheim uh, that weekend for two games. They play Friday, Saturday. They have a rare Sunday off day. Uh, so, But it's sort of good for the Dodgers in that they get the Sunday off because – they play the they're the they they play the Giants on the Thursday night um, after the All Star game. They're the only only game that day. It's an ESPN night game. So what they lose in an off day there, they gain on that Sunday. The Giants are not off that Sunday, so it's it's not like an arbitrary thing. Or it's not like a, a mandatory thing. So it's pretty weird. Um, yeah, that, so the the schedule's out. Um, you can go check it out. Dodgers.com will have it. Um, but they, they have this weird thing too, where so they're they're on the road that that week before the All Star game, but it's 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 on the road in quotes. Um, they go to San Diego for three and Anaheim for two. They could sleep in their own beds in the Anaheim game, but they they have a seven game homestand before that, and then a seven game homestand after the break. So the Dodgers are in Southern California next year, basically from June 29th to July 22nd. So like it's like almost an entire month, almost exclusively at home. I know some you know people will take the All Star break and like go somewhere or whatever, but still that's that's like um that's an underrated sort of quirk of a schedule that you can get that kind of sort of familiarity. So that that should be neat. We started every episode this year with a Cody Bellinger update since really the, I think the first or second week of the season. I think it might have been the second. We're we're getting there with Hunjin Ryu. And that uh, Cody Mellinger could win the MVP. He's maybe in second place right now, depending on who you talk to. But I think uh, Ryu is the clear-cut favorite for the Cy Young. Right. So um, the thing with with Ryu is that you know Max Scherzer, uh, he's been he's missed a lot of time, and I think had Scherzer been healthy, he would he would probably get a lot of the votes um, because some of his peripherals are better, and he has like a better FIP and. Um, um, more more strikeouts, obviously, 
but Ryu is uh, actually past Scherzer now in innings, and uh, Scherzer's not quite back yet with the Nationals, but who knows if it'll stay that way. But, yeah, like his ERA is so much better than everybody else. It's, he pitched seven scoreless innings Sunday. He had this – he was on the DL. We mentioned this. He only missed one start. It was the – it was a neck injury, but sort of like a let's make just make sure we're getting him some rest right now. That it, He missed the minimum amount of time. Um, he had six scoreless innings in his start before that. So uh, he's down to a 145 ERA. This We're recording this on August 12th, uh, and he has an ERA of 145. The next best ERA in the majors, Braves rookie Mike Soroka, 232. So there's a sizable gap in that um, uh, ERA. He could. I was looking at some like potential uh, how to like get his ERA to blow up. He's, he had the one bad start in Coors. But, like, if if Ryu in his next start gave up eight runs without recording it out, his ERA would still be under two. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. No, exactly. They, they don't, they're not going to be in Coors, so he'll be fine. Um, his ERA plus right now is 284. <laughs> the Dodgers record is two, 222 by Zach Greinke in 2015. He did not win the Cy Young because that was the crazy year with um, uh, it was basically Jake Arrieta, Grinky, and Kershaw all like sort of laying claim. Like you really couldn't pick a wrong pitcher out of that three. I mean, I guess you could because Arrieta won it. But um, uh, the MLB record uh, in modern era, at least, is two ninety one ERA plus by Pedro in two thousand, and the the he's the only one better than Ryu right now. Like um, in terms of qualified pitchers, obviously the season isn't over yet, but. If you look back since the start of 2018, Ryu has a 164 ERA in 37 starts, 225, 225 innings. Um, since that one bad start in Coors, which was June 28th, he's pitched uh, 39 and two-thirds innings in six starts. He's given up four total runs. Two of those are earned. Um, I was looking at this like, so the Dodgers have 42 games left. That's basically eight starts for everybody for the most part. So he's averaging like six and a half innings per start. If you just gave him six innings a start the rest of the way, 48 innings the rest of the year, and he put up a 3.56 ERA, which is like a perfectly normal like stretch of uh, ERA for somebody, he'd finish with 198 on the season. If if he gave him a little few more innings, um, and let's say he has 52 innings the rest of the year, and he has a 3.46 ERA, he'd finish at 199. So that gives you an idea of sort of what he has to do down the stretch to keep it under two. Um, if he has a three ERA over 51 innings, just randomly, he'd finish at 186. So very good chance that Ryu will finish with a sub two ERA. That's very hard to do. He's just putting up an excellent season. Um, and it's like, we've always talked about, like, it's remarkable that he missed so much time. His shoulder is, you know, he had a torn labrum. It's hard to come back from that. He's had groin injuries the last two years. He's also uh, not pitching yeah. how you would assume. You would assume an area like that. You're pitching like Scherzer. You're pitching like right. Clemens. You're you're a, a power pitcher, really dominating in strikeouts. And he's just pitching the contact, pitching the contact, getting soft contact, getting double plays, pitching yeah, with and perfect absolutely control, att- attacking attacking the strikes of yep. like not walking anybody, getting very soft contact on a lot of things. He's getting you know more people hit the ball against him than say Scherzer or Jacob deGrom, uh, but they're still, like, not making solid contact against him because he's able to control, like, 
pretty much multiple pitches at like every quadrant of the strike zone. And it just really, he's like the king of keeping hitters off balance. And uh, it's been, it's been an amazing run to watch. So I think going forward, we'll keep doing the Ryu update just to check in where he's at and what, what kind of finish he might have to do to finish with a sub two, or just to see where he sort of, if he just keeps throwing scoreless starts up, who knows? Uh, but it's been a remarkable run so far. Dodgers offense kind of looked like the Dodgers offense. A, a couple off days where they're still able to echo some wins and then some really big days. So not a lot to talk about there. But on the, on the the one sour note, I think, if we were to pick one over the last week of baseball, is Kenley. It was only uh, one real bad outing, but it really was sort of the... It's not the climax of the season, but... The, the attitude to how he himself and Roberts have talked about him has changed a little bit. It seems a little bit more realistic. Am I, am I fair to say that? Um, yeah, I, I think, I think so. Yeah. So Kenley Jansen on, on Friday, like the, the, the Dodgers starting pitchers allowed two runs last week in six games. So it was a ridiculous week and that's, that's why they won. They, they had dominant offensive games in the, on the first game of the week and the last game of the week. And then in between, they were just kind of like middling, but they were able to win. They almost won all four of those middle games because the pitching was so dominant. Uh, they had a 2 nothing lead Friday. Kenley Jansen allowed a bloop single and then a two-run homer to Carson Kelly. Uh, it, it was a weird week last week because uh, Paul Goldschmidt with the Cardinals now was 0 for 11. He's 0 for his last 17 against the Dodgers. He was 2 for 26 on the season against the Dodgers, which never happens. But the guy they traded for, um, uh, that one of the guys traded for Paul Goldschmidt, Carson Kelly, was the guy who took Jansen deep. It's the second time he took Jansen deep this season. Kelly also took Julio Urias deep in the 11th inning on Friday to win that game. So the, the Dodgers, like, They've somehow neutralized Paul Goldschmidt, but they have a new Paul Goldschmidt like extension now. It's it's kind of weird, but yeah. So this was against Jansen. It was his fifth blown save. Um, it was weird. <laughs> My brother like texted me immediately when when Jansen blew the save, and it's like, how many blown saves is that now? And how many since July first? I don't know why you picked July first, honestly. Um, but I told him it was five on the season, two since July first, and he's like, oh. I'm actually surprised it was that low. I don't know what he was thinking or why he picked July 1st. But the fact is Jansen, like, blows saves every now and then now, like, more more often than he did. Um, so his he's just not, like, the same. We've talked about this a lot. Like, he's not the elite uh, best-in-the-game type closer that he was for years. Uh, it started that way last year, and it's extended this year. Um so the, sort of the talk now is, I don't know necessarily if it's changed. Roberts has never wavered in like, he's still like uh, very faithful in Jansen. Like they're going to keep running him out there. He's the closer. Sure. That's not, that's not changing. Um, they are talking about it more in terms of like what he has to do to like continue to maintain. And that's maybe new. I, I guess that's probably the new thing. And it, it's essentially like Jansen, like almost kept, Calling it's like a continual like work in progress. Like uh, people keep asking him, "Are you close to where you were?" And he, he was like, "It's not about being that. It's just about getting better each time." He's constantly looking at video. He gets out of. We've seen this even at his best. Like he had times where something was wrong with his delivery or something, and he he'd fly open or just 
but his his cutter was so good that he could still throw it by people. Can't necessarily do that all the time now. So if he's off in his control, um, it's you know it's much easier to hit. Uh, but also, so there's a matter of like pitch selection too. Look, he, he's in his career, he's thrown his cutter 87% of the time. So that's his bread and butter. That's always going to be his bread and butter, even when he mixes in other pitches like his slider and his fastball. But so even if he mixes in those other pitches, he still has to have the cutter working to be effective. And that's where he sort of has fall, fall, fallen off. Um, Jansen mentioned um, this last week, like, he said, look, I just don't hit spots consistently like I used to. That's So that's what he's kind of working on. They did a – after the Friday uh, blown save, um, Roberts that night was saying, like, the, that the cutter just didn't have any life tonight. And that's the thing. Like, so the pitch, you know it's coming, and you, you'd think major league hitters would be able to hit it. They are hitting it more this year. But the the, the key to that pitch is not necessarily this the velocity, which helps, but – it's the late life, the like sort of explosion at the end, the movement, and that that is what has been off for Jansen this year, um, and so that's what he sort of has to keep um, reminding himself or, or like correcting his delivery to get to that, that spot where he can do it more consistently. They worked on a bullpen session. It was a very quick one on Saturday, like ten pitches. He just threw cutters only, and it, he said he was. Tr- um, working on his uh, getting his lower half more involved because I guess uh, I don't know it's hard to describe this but basically your arm is like ahead of your your legs and then you you end up being out of control at that point or out of alignment uh, so it's a it's a less uh, effective pitch so they're working on that he and then he sort of um, insisted is the wrong word but he wanted to pitch Saturday almost no matter what it was a four nothing game in the night they brought him in non save situation. Um, and, uh, he still pitched, he was, he was fine, like better. Um, but yeah, so like he, he said he, the ball felt better coming out and, uh, he, you know, it was a scoreless inning. And then I think this is just like the new normal now, like he could still be very effective, but like, just not, he's just not the dominant pitcher he was. And I think that's what's sort of there getting back on. We, we talked about this. They didn't really do much at the trade deadline. They're betting on their internal options. But one of the internal options they're betting on is Kenley, and um, he sort of needs to um, do whatever it takes to maintain the consistency. Because as long as, if he's hitting his spots, like he could still be a very effective pitcher. Maybe not the dominant one he was, but that's that's kind of where they're at with him right now. So it's going to be a wild ride uh, in October, um, but we'll we'll see. Like he you, he could still be effective um, even at his current state, but. Uh, that's going to be what kind of everybody's talking about in October, I'm sure. Yeah, the main thing that struck me as different after the, the last bad outing was, uh, I know this got written up in the LA Times, Robert's kind of addressing that to get him right, they're willing to maybe change some things that they're doing in the regular season, get him more regular days off, pitched more on a, a slight schedule, and if that comes at the sacrifice of giving either Joe Kelly or Pedro Baez some save opportunities, then so be it. What matters is making him right. Right. They, they talked about getting him on a more consistent schedule. I'll still believe that when I see it for the most part. I think what that means is, is like at certain points, they'll just try to get him in games no matter what, which is fine. Um, but like since um, the All-Star break, he had two starts or two appearances on four days rest, two on five days rest. Or I guess this was since July. 
Um, and then one, which included the all-star break, was on six days rest. So it's hard to sort of maintain rhythm if you're if you're not pitching over extended periods. So he pitched back to those back-to-back days over the weekend. First time he pitched back-to-back days since the end of June. So that shows you just so how to sort of how irregular his workload has been. Not that they're going to keep trotting him out there like two and three days in a row, but I think yeah, getting him regular work is key because that's kind of what they're going to expect in the postseason. We've seen this where even if it's maybe not a save situation, but a four or five run lead, they'll just bring in Kenley to close it out because they have enough off days to sort of um, balance that. So they are going to like, and you know, we, all a lot of, all season, everyone's sort of default reaction is get him out of there. He shouldn't be closing. But like, even if he's not closing, which I I don't think is is going to be the case at least this year, um, the Dodgers need Kenley Jansen to get major outs, whether it's as a setup guy or as a closer. They just don't have the depth to just you can't just like not pitch him. They don't have their pitching staff isn't that good to where they can like afford to lose him. He's still like their best option outside of probably Julio Urias at this point, um, but. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's very, it, it's something they have to deal with. So their main priority is getting him right, pitching whatever innings he's pitching. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's just kind of where we are right now. In brighter news, a lot of Dodgers are looking on the cusp of coming back to the active roster and getting back to contribute. Dr. Eric. <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> I'm just picturing me wearing a stethoscope, and it's funny. That's that's how I always imagine you. Yeah. I imagine the, the Doctor Mario cover, but just your face instead. I I don't know what that is, but I don't wow. I don't I'm, I'm I'm an old. I don't play video games anymore. Okay. Um. So, I, is there a lab coat involved? Uh, yes. Okay, then I, I'm in. I'm on board. Um. Okay. So the Dodgers, we they have like a, n- a number of people out, like on the injured list. And uh, just, I think, let's just sort of go through uh, some of these players, like, and when they might join. The first one, the first one back might be Jed Jerko, who hasn't yet played with the Dodgers. Played, quote unquote, uh, back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, yeah, back slash joining them, sort of a uh, Jeff Shaw All Star Game situation. Uh, but he's been he's on a rehab assignment. He's probably going to be there for the better part of this week. It's it's possible he could join the team in Atlanta. I think is probably the earliest, but makes the next week's homestand more likely. He's been out since June, um, so that's a thing. Uh, Chris Taylor and Kiki Hernandez are sort of uh, tandem, <laughs> a tandem pair at this point. They were uh, doing some uh, rehabbing things, like working out with trainers on the field at Dodger Stadium uh, over the weekend, like kind of working together. In fact, one drill had one of the trainers like, um, you know, uh, they were both like harnessed basically, but almost together. And the trainer was like holding them back as they were like running to sort of add some resistance to what they were doing. Um, so I, they're getting closer. They're going to go on a rehab assignment at some point this week. So once the rehab goes there again, that that puts them in line for maybe a next week's homestand possible return so you have those three sort of come back that helps the offense um alex verdugo has uh uh, uh, tweaked his back he's going to be more than 10 days he's like a two-week plus guy so maybe sometime after that so closer to september david freeze uh still like hamstring stuff 
they keep saying he's not going to be ready till September, so I don't think you will see him before then. Uh, Ross Stripling, they pushed him back. Um, he had a neck issue. Uh, he was going to do a rehab last week. They pushed it back to this week. Uh, what? So as sort of uh, he sort of runs out of time, Roberts basically said like the bullpen is the most likely option for him when he returns. And then on Sunday, Roberts said the same thing about Rich Hill. Rich Hill has long been like mid-September return. And so we've kind of speculated that like the, there's not going to be enough time to stretch him out. Um, so basically Rich Hill, Ross Stripling – only bullpen options for October if they're available. Um, so that we talked about last week, like it's basically game four, that game four start, the elusive game four start. Uh, it's Rich Hills until it's not. Well, it's not right now. So like the, you know, the the main, the the elephant in the room option is the, the piggyback uh, where you just have all these sort of multi-inning folks like and, and throw as many of, of them as you can. But like, you know, Tony Gonsolin uh, made a few starts. Uh, they sent him back down so he can keep starting. Dustin May currently in the Dodger rotation. He's an he's an option. Those two guys are options. Julio Urias um, remains an option if they do uh, get him back to starting at some point in September. But I, I still sort of uh, Kenta Maeda. Um, like I laughed when this was this was asking. He's he's gone to the bullpen every year uh, the last few years at least. And it seems inevitable that he'll end up there again just because his, his splits against righties and lefties, his slider so effective against righties. I think they'll end up with the bullpen again. But he's, for now, still an option to start. But Dave Roberts was asked about this on Saturday, I think. And um, it wasn't a sarcastic answer, but I laughed at the, the text of it. It was basically like, is there a chance Maeda can pitch, uh, can start in October rather than move to the bullpen? And Roberts goes, well, anything's possible, but like he, he didn't say it like a like a, there's a chance there's a slight chance. It was more like he was just pointing out that there's a lot of like baseball to be played yet. So that's still a, a possibility. But I, I still uh, there. I think if if one of Gonsolin or May makes the postseason roster, and you, you basically have all these like multi inning options, I think a piggyback type start is what they might lean toward for so, a game four. Again, lots of times we now. Yeah. We'll if see. they did a piggyback start, it would be in game four. So let's assume, uh, let's talk about a seven game series. Uh, so it'd be uh, in the middle of a three game stretch where you're um, playing three games in a row. Mm-hmm. How, how would that affect the ability for those multi-inning guys to pitch on either game three or game five? So it, and does that it, tax it will... the bullpen too much? to throw so many relievers into one game? Not necessarily because okay. they're, they're more likely to have, they're going to have um, a, a 12 man uh, staff, at least for the seven game series. Anyway, the 11 man staff, which is like a se- seven relievers and four starters is usually reserved for the five game series because there's just, you have, you only play two games in a row at most. You have two off days. So it's easier to sort of, meet out the innings there. Um, so it, what it does is it eliminates um, a, a several guys from like being able to pitch all three games, which is not necessarily something they want to do anyway. Sure. We saw that with Brandon Morrow, like pitched in literally every game of the world series and he was really gassed. Like, and when he pitched that third game in a row in game five, he was very ineffective and, and they ended up losing that game. 
um, but otherwise was effective like the whole time. So it's really tough. Um, so like Urias is not someone you, you're going to pitch in all three games anyway, but he could be like, if, if, if you decide he's a late inning guy, um, maybe he is, maybe he could pitch game three and game five and then he makes him unavailable for game four. But if he's available for game four for like a two inning stretch or something, it kind of takes him out of commission almost for both game three and game five. I think someone like Gonsolin is is like a guy you'd want to piggyback in there if, if it's him. And maybe he's a three or four. Maybe you start him and just have him just go for three innings, max effort. And then you you follow with Rich Hill for two. And then you're almost at like a, a, a regular start anyway. And then you just go, you just mix and match bullpen from there. So it's not necessarily like a death knell because remember – a normal staff, you're carrying four starters anyway, but just think of that what the Dodgers are doing is carrying three starters and then nine other pitchers. <laughs> like, so, and then they just, they, the, the, the someone's going to pitch a, a reasonable amount of innings, at least three. Just label that guy the starter in terms of roster building. And you still have eight other relievers that you can, you know, mix and match over those three games. So I, I don't think it's, it's necessarily, you could definitely do it. You don't want to do like a bullpen game more than once or or twice in a series. Um, but I think they could definitely do it. We saw it with the Brewers. The Brewers were so effective sure. last year and they were they were their starting rotation was held together by like bailing wire. And they almost pulled it off against the Dodgers and um and it wasn't the pitching that cost them that series, really. Um so I think you just try to get as many outs as you can in different ways. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, uh, well, look at it this way, like uh, trying to think if outside of the box thing would be even if Bueller starts game three and, um, he could conceivably have his bullpen day during game five. So if you go full 2018 Red Sox, who use all five of their starters in relief at some point in the playoffs, maybe Bueller's the guy who could get an out or two or an inning in game five in really, if you had to, like if you're, if your bullpen is taxed to that point, you know, after sort of this weird game four. So I think there's a lot of options there. And um, I think it's something to consider at least. We've been talking about it really all episode that the Dodgers are really looking internal to fill, figure out a lot of sort of weird pl- uh playoff roles uh and uh, one of the biggest tools they're looking forward i'm sure to using to do that is the september roster when you for this year at least it expands to potentially the entire 40 man how do you see them using that you don't want to bring up all even though there are a lot of options you want to bring them all up or give them the idea that they all have this chance because you want to really focus on the guys that you think will really help them how do you how do you see them using it Okay, so we talked about these all these injured Dodgers. Like I mentioned, the six names before: uh, Jerko, Taylor, Kike Hernandez, Alex Verdugo, David Freeze, and Ross Stripling. That's six people. Those all six should be back by September for sure. So you're already up to 31 on the roster. Rich Hill will join them at some point. Tony Gonsolin will be back. Austin Barnes will be back. You're already at 34 active roster right now. Dylan Floro, Casey Sadler, who have pitched like um, decent 
uh, like important innings. I think maybe more so Flora than Sadler, but I think they're going to give Sadler a shot. So you're already up to 36 players on the active roster at this point. Uh, we talked to Dave Roberts over the weekend, or this was during uh, Dave Roberts' uh, pregame media scrum on Saturday. Here's what Roberts had to say about um, – Who's going to join the Dodgers in uh, September? Are you going to bring up a lot of guys? Uh... No, no, I, no, I don't see that. Because I think that even Taylor, Hernandez, Jerko, um, you know, obviously Austin will be recalled. So it's like there's guys that we already have that have been here quite some time. So to kind of uh, flood the clubhouse doesn't make a whole lot of sense. One of the players uh, we also talked about uh, with Roberts, uh, I asked him about Gavin Lux, and just to give you a Gavin Lux update, um, I know we've talked about him quite a bit in terms of him sort of playing his way into relevance uh, with the Dodgers. He is <laughs> he's hitting 441, 524, 811 with Oklahoma City, 29 extra base hits in 34 games. Uh, he actually went uh, hitless on Saturday, his last game for the for OKC. But he walked. He's he's gone hitless three times in those thirty-four games with AAA, and he walked in all three games. He's reached base forty-seven games in a row, dating back to June 9th. <laughs> so it's it's been more than two months since he went a game without reaching base. Uh, I, so I asked, what about Gavin Lux? He's not on the forty-man, but what uh, are the possibilities? If even if the Dodgers don't want to sort of crowd the room, as Dave Roberts put it. What are the options options that Gavin Lux presents uh, in September? Gavin Lux is uh, certainly on our radar. He's earned it. He's performed. Um, as far as on our radar, being active, that remains to be seen, and, and that could happen. Um, but I think uh, the floor is for him to you know be around in September uh, in some capacity. So we haven't decided on what yet, but to get him around our guys and what we do up here, I think that's very valuable. We did it with Will Smith last year, so we'll see. I mean, nothing, no decisions been made. Roberts mentioned uh, Will Smith there. Uh, that's what they did with him last year. Will Smith not on the forty man last year, not at the forty on the forty man to start this year either. Uh, but they did bring him up in September as an apprentice role. He was sat through all the meetings, um, you know, went on the road trips with the Dodgers, uh, but did everything but play. It was sort of like a, taking it all in, but not, you know, without playing, like getting the full experience, going through the uh, pregame stuff, the coaching, the drills, the workouts, the work ethic, the figuring things out. So, at a minimum, I think that's what we'll see with Lux. And like I said, he's played well enough to where they could absolutely activate him. Um, and it wouldn't be a surprise. But, yeah, it's kind of exciting. He's, it sounds like he's going to be there one way or the other. So they add Gavin Lux. That brings you to 30, 37 uh, people on the active roster. So it's easier to say who uh, wouldn't make it. when I have Yadi Alvarez, Dennis Santana, Jamie Schultz, and Kyber Ruiz as the ones who probably won't be there, but who knows? Uh, so that leaves players currently on the active roster who either actually will be um, designated for assignment or released or just won't really get any meaningful playing time. 
who do you see on the active roster that is probably on their way out? I have a yeah. I have a couple names in mind. Yeah, so so we're we're at thirty six without Lux on the active roster if we just add all those people in. But yeah, Tyler White is yeah. a guy who could easily be designated for assignment. Honestly, like as soon as Jerko's ready, like it just gives them another right handed option. They might still wait on him. They could easily option Edwin Rios or Matt Beatty for the active roster, but I, I would not count on Tyler White being there for uh, September. Uh, Christopher Negron filled a role like a guy who could play sort of everywhere. But like the if they had hitter, how dare you? Yeah, he he hit third and fifth. He had a very hot start, but like uh, I would not have guessed he would have started ten of his twelve games with the Dodgers so far. But he has, uh, which is very odd. Uh, but I think once once Taylor and Kike come back, uh, he's uh, he's more redundant, um, and so I think they keep him around, but probably he in a very very limited role. Um, late inning defense, occasional pinch hit, that kind of a thing. But we'll see. Uh, I, I mentioned this to Phil Gurney uh, yesterday on Twitter. I said we're nearing Colasboville at this point. Uh, the Dodgers, when they traded Juan Uribe away, they got Alberto Callaspo sort of as roster filler at that point, and he ended up starting a bunch. Like, he played so often. Like, it was crazy. Um, so we're kind of nearing that with Negron and getting some diminishing returns, but I, we'll see how long that keeps up. Uh, Jamie Schultz is another guy on the 40-man if they had to make room. Um, they're going to have to make room for Rich Hill, too, because he's on the 60-day. Um, Jamie Schultz, they can easily designate for assignment. Uh, I guess Yimmy Garcia, maybe, but he's lasted this long on the active roster. Which is really surprising to me. <laughs> yeah, he, he's had a weird year in that we, – we talked about this last week, too. Like His, his batting average allowed very low – He's barely walked anybody, but he's allowed 12 home runs. So it's like every, it's like it's just an odd season. You wouldn't really bat an eye if he was designated for assignment. Um, and so that's certainly a possibility. But I think that he's that he's lasted this long. Maybe he doesn't pitch a ton of innings in September. That's, that's kind of what I'm looking at. I think. If, if he gets there, I, I think he, he'll probably just stay and then just have no shot at the, on the playoff roster. Sure. Well, we have a Dodgers rewind and some questions from Craig after this break. I'm excited for the return of Dodgers rewind. Yeah, I slacked off last week. Yep, I was lazy, and um, but it's always good when I, I can try to tie it in with something that's actually happening. No, look, no Dodger fan is going to want to hear this, but the reason Kenley Jansen made me think of Tom Needenfewer. <laughs> um, okay, so. <laughs> Like, like if you're of a certain age, like Tom Needenfewer sends chills down your spine. Um, like, I don't know. He his he's most known for um, being the losing pitcher in both games five and six of the uh, National League Championship Series uh, in 1985. Uh, he gave up a, he gave up a home run, a walk off home run in St. Louis to Ozzie Smith to win Game Five. And at this point in his career, Ozzie Smith was a switch hitter, very little power. They actually showed a graphic on, on NBC. This is one of the great like uh, sports uh, moments in terms of like graphic and then immediately erased. Like uh, it was like uh, Smith has not homered in 3,300 uh, bats batting left-handed. Then crack home run, <laughs> like walk off home run. Uh, it was a very famous home run. Um, but yeah, so, 
Tom Needenfewer, uh, his sort of history with the Dodgers, he was drafted in uh, 1977 out of uh, Washington State in the 36th round. That was one round after the Dodgers drafted uh, John Shoemaker, who's been uh, a coach with them for four decades now. Uh, so, And he's with Great Lakes this year. Um, I wrote a, a feature on him in, in March. That was fun. Um, uh, Neen Fewer actually pitched seven seasons for the Dodgers, 81-87. He was very good. Uh, 276 ERA, 100, uh, 128 ERA plus. He saved 64 games. There wasn't like high volume like save totals a lot because they would so, sometimes they pitchers pitch like long outings relief pitchers did back then so like you might have a couple different guys save games in a week but like in his peak 82 to 85 243 ERA it was 100 145 ERA plus um, I looked up all time uh, relief pitchers who've thrown uh, at least 300 innings in relief for the Dodgers as a reliever. There's only 21 of those. Uh, Needn Fewer is eighth in ERA at 276. Canley Jansen, third, 232. Uh, Jansen's ERA plus is 165. Another another sort of um, great regular season, bad postseason memories. Uh, Jonathan Broxton, he's 13th at 319, a 132 ERA plus. I think Broxton is the best one-to-one cop for Needn Fewer in terms of like regular season performance. Well, here's here's the thing to think about with um, Tom Eatonfuer. His, his postseason ERA is 270, yet he's remembered as like this massive failure because he blew Game Five and Game Six. Game Six was Dodgers were up five four in the ninth. Uh, he gave up a three run home run to Jack Clark, famously with first base open. Left handed Andy Van Slyke was on deck. There were platoon reasons, like everyone. Well, it's always after the fact, like, you should have walked Clark to pitch to Vance Like, Well, at that point, it only takes a walk to tie the game, and Vance Like had a good eye. But his splits were uh, – Vance Like hit righties fine, like, very well. Didn't hit lefties so well. Um, the funny thing to me about uh, Niedenfewer, we talked about different relief roles back then. He faced 13 batters in that relief appearance. It was two and two-thirds innings. He actually struck out Jack Clark the first time he faced him that game. Imagine a reliever coming in now in in like a an important situation and uh, actually facing more than like facing a batter more than once. That never happens. It was a four four tie with a runner on third and one out. So very key situation in the seventh inning. Willie McGee, my mortal enemy, was on third base. He struck out both Clark and Van Slyke in, in the seventh inning to get out of it. So. Uh, it just, it, nothing went well. My brother, um, at the time, I think someone at his work, uh, later that season, uh, I think for Christmas, they, they bought like this picture frame, this three tiered picture frame. And in the, in the picture frames were, um, 1986 tops baseball cards. One was Tommy Lasorda. One was Tom Needenfewer and the other was Jack Clark. And it was basically just telling my brother, like, F you, essentially. Um, the, another thing to note, Needenfewer is only 25 years old in 85. Uh, and he, he actually turned 26 by the time the playoffs rolled around. He was done pitching in baseball in his age 30 season. Um, Needenfewer from 81 to 85, uh, he had a 254 ERA, a 139 ERA plus. 86 to 90, it was 414. 
So he really went south. It was 94 ERA plus. He really went south after the playoff sort of failure. The the main similarity with Jansen here is after the postseason failure, right? Uh, he never allowed he never allowed more than six home runs in a season before 85 or coming in 85 or actually 385. But then he allowed 11 in 1986 and 12 in 1987. Uh, Kenley Jansen uh, blew game two uh, of the 2017 World Series. He also lost uh, in a pitch in a tie game and gave up the walk-off single in game five. Um, he never allowed more than six home runs in a season. Then he allowed 13 last year. He's allowed seven already this year on pace for roughly 10. So that's sort of similar. Um Look, I'm not trying to say Jansen's going to end up being like Tom Hinder. He has a much longer track record. I'm just saying, like that, all it takes is like a couple bad outings, and you're everyone wants to turn on you at this point. And they forget everything you did. Um, so, like, uh, you know, Jansen blew two saves in the 2018 World Series too, uh, and like he he is going to need not only for the Dodgers this year, but like for his own legacy. Like he needs to turn that around. Like, look, it's not always fair. But it is what it is. Like he, you have to sort of come through. Jan- Kenley Jansen postseason ERA is two oh eight in the World Series. It's three fifty five. Certainly reasonable, doable, like workable. But he's going to be remembered for having three blown saves, and um, you know, in, in the World Series in two years. So that's it's not always fair, but it is what it is. And that's that's sort of uh, what reminded me of Eden Fewer this week. Just even if the performance comes completely back and we get 2017 regular uh, season Kenley, if he pitches the way he's pitched this year at times, very Baez-esque, doing that in the World Series is going to make me go nuts. <laughs> I'm just oh, going, oh, the stress. <laughs> there's no situation where the World Series and the playoffs in general, you're, you're, everyone's entire stomach lining is going to be just completely eroded by, by the end of October. We've had an editor on the podcast for uh, a couple of months now, which is to the delight of your listeners, I'm sure, that I'm I'm not haphazardly making my way through it. And he, he made sure to let me know that if we ever needed a, a theme song, which we already have one by my brother, and I love it, and we're not changing it. Uh, but I think, he, I think this is my former request, if you're listening, Brian, I want a questions from Craig jingle. Oh, that would be awesome. We we've like Craig. I think forgets to send us questions once a year. It's such a regular fixture. We need it. We've got five more. Are you ready? I am so ready. There are currently five teams within two games of the NL Wild Card: the Nationals, the Cardinals, the Brewers, the Mets, and the Phillies. Which would be your pick for the most competitive NLDS? So, I was looking at this week. We talked. This sort of came up a little bit last week when someone said what. Outside of the bullpen, what reasons could the Dodgers be sent home in October? One of them is, like, well, like, they could just not hit, right? Like, we saw that in both of the last two World Series. But also, they could run into a buzzsaw pitching rotation. For me, this the scary red flag has always been the Nationals. But um, the, the good thing about an NLDS feature is their best pitcher is burnt for game one. Oh, right, because of the wild card. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, yeah, the Dodgers will have the advantage no matter what. And if you're I think the Diamondbacks, win... potentially your two best starting pitchers. Are <laughs> yeah, what an, what an odd year that was, 2017. <laughs> that absolutely killed them. I mean, they, they had to do it. I mean, they did. you, you got you to gotta win that game, so I get it. 
Um, but yeah, so the Nationals, you have um, Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. Like that's just top notch. Like that is tough. Uh, it's almost as they're both the Dodgers. Yeah, exactly. Their bullpen has faltered. Um, so it, it's just a matter of like if one if if they're hot and like those pitchers are on, uh, it's going to be tough. Uh, I would say uh, if you look of the group, the Cardinals have the best bullpen mm-hmm. uh, of of these teams. Um, the Brewers have been like so up and down, not really concerned with them. Same with the Phillies, very beatable, uh, very thin. Uh, in, they're just little, very little depth. The Mets have somehow played their way into relevance. They're only a game out right now. Uh, they have the best offense of the, these five teams. They're, they have a 102 uh, wins were created plus. Uh, that, like I said, it's barely above average. But that, you know, the, this whole the whole NL outside of the top couple teams is very mediocre. Um, they have the worst bullpen uh, of the group, but that's been better since since about uh, July. Uh, especially since the all-star break. So it's been serviceable and they have a, a five deep rotation. So you figure maybe like Zach Wheeler ends up getting slotted to the bullpen um, or, or something and, and makes them even better. But yeah, there you're facing like DeGrom, Cindergaard, and then one of uh, or two of um, Stroman, Wheeler. And for the life of me, I don't know why I'm forgetting their other pitcher, but yeah, th- it's a tough, that's a tough team. So in order, I would say Nationals are the scariest to face. After that, it's the Mets. And after that, probably the Cardinals and then maybe Brewers and Phillies. But uh, the Dodgers are going to have the advantage no matter what um, in that. But those tough rotations are always always real difficult. The Mets also with their offense, like they, they have like four, like uh, Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil have been legitimately like very, very good all year. And then, like, lately, um, J.D. Davis and Michael Conforto have been really hitting well. So, like, that's a that's a tough four to navigate in the lineup. Um, still, like, not as deep as the Dodgers, but, like, that's a, that, that makes them a tough out. So, I think that's why the Mets are, are, are tough. But outside of the Nationals, Mets, not, not, not totally concerned uh, with that matchup. You mentioned that the Brewers are kind of um... – hot and cold to me after the the nationals i would put a hot brewers team and that might be completely based on an extremely competitive nlcs last year and it's Mm -hmm. not actually based on any rational method but just seeing them hot and they're if they have the ability to navigate their bullpen the way and they haven't this year and a lot of that is just this year with the ball being the the way it is but if they have any semblance of that it just uh, i don't need that again Imagine, again, yeah, hopefully the Dodgers offense doesn't go completely cold. So a red, a red hot Christian Yelich and Ryan Braun in the lineup, and then when Brandon Woodruff is starting, he's also in the lineup. So that's, that's a tough, <laughs> that's a tough matchup. I agree. Next question is for me: Is last exit to Springfield the best Simpsons episode? It certainly Ooh. has Craig's favorite Tim Burton and Dr. Seuss references. I believe it's not my favorite episode. It's in my top five or top ten which changes all of the time. Sure. I believe it's probably the best episode. Cause not only is the density of jokes in that episode is mm-hmm. through the roof. You have, uh, Lisa needs braces, the dental plan joke. You have, uh, uh, everything involving, involving the dentist. You have everything involving Homer being the, the union rep, uh, just a lot, uh, of, is that a the, lot of jokes. Is that, 
Is that the Stonecutters episode too? No, that is Homer the okay. Great uh, later okay. on. Another excellent episode. Uh, I think in terms of joke density, uh, the episode, which is I think my second or third favorite, is uh, You Only Move Twice, which is the Hank Scorpio, James Bond <laughs> God, that's parody. a good one. I, but it doesn't have the sort of satirical elements that uh, Last yeah. Exit has. Uh, for the record, my favorite episode is Marge Be Not Proud, which is uh, Bart Shopless Bone Storm, the video game episode, which to oh, me that's... is almost as joke dense and also has a really good emotional moment uh, at the end. So uh, I love Marge versus the Monorail too, um, but also uh, in this the the Dental Plan episode, uh, <laughs> my one of my that's the one where. Uh, Lisa's taking her yearbook photo and the photographer's like, come on, give us a smile. <laughs> and then she smiles and it's hideous and he's like, oh dear God. And he just slinks <laughs> away. That's that's one of the my favorite like deliveries of that is excellent. My it. favorite um, micro joke. We, you and I were talking about this off air actually because someone tweeted, what's your favorite micro joke on The Simpsons? Uh, Homer and Mr. Burns are about to negotiate <laughs> in his basement. Homer has to go to the bathroom. Mr. Burns says it's on the 23rd door on the left. And then Homer comes back and Mr. Burns asks if uh, he found the bathroom okay. And Homer's response is, yeah. <laughs> that that delivery that. of yeah is a thing that I reuse all of the time. So, uh, For the record, uh, my, my favorite micro joke ever was uh, they're, blowing, um, they're blowing up a building and someone mentions, <laughs> mentions we have to implode the building and then the guy with with his hands on the plunger to press the as he's pressing down to start the explosion, he goes implode. <laughs> uh, the other episode that I'm going to throw in there as a should be a runner for best is the PTA disbands, which is Purple Monkey Dishwasher, among other things. Uh, beautiful. The Dodgers have 197 home runs. Who will hit their 200th, and when will that happen? Okay, so they they start off this week in Miami. Um, I don't think they'll wait till Atlanta to hit 200. So Jordan Yamamoto starts Tuesday for the Marlins. He's actually, uh, the Marlins as a team, in his last five starts, have allowed 12 home runs. That includes four home runs his last time out, um, and then three home runs against the Dodgers on July 21st at Dodger Stadium. But uh, he hasn't had a start at home all year when the Marlins allowed three home runs. So less likely it happens on Tuesday. Good. But um, the Marlins this year in 61 home games have allowed three three or more home runs five times. So this is looking like a second game of the series type thing. Uh, so then you look at Elysier Hernandez. Uh, he starts Wednesday for the Marlins. He's allowed 11 home runs in 47 and a third innings this year. So he is basically numero uno target uh, for uh, number 200. He allowed four runs in relief at Dodger Stadium on July 20th. Matt Beatty got him for a three-run shot. I figure Matt Beatty will probably start on Wednesday. So Matt Beatty gets my my pick for uh, number 200, and it's against Fernandez. It's going to be Tuesday. It's going to be in oh. order. Corey Seager for his 10th. Justin Turner for his 20th. And then I, I'm curious to ask you about this on who's going to hit the 200th. I always think, oh, this is a really good pun opportunity for Eric. He's going to be really excited. But is something like Will Smith hitting the 200th in Miami just too on the nose for you? 
I like I, I try to look. I'll, I get as dumb as anybody, uh, but it, like there's so many Will Smith jokes like um, that. I try to stay away from them unless it's something like that either hits me immediately or like um, I think is something something new. So I, I'm gonna try to not force it. Like the Welcome to Miami stuff. Look, Joe, if Joe Smith says Welcome to Miami as Will Smith homers, that's perfect. Like that's a good call. Joe Smith, but like. Joe Smith. Oh, Joe Davis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you know that uh, Will Smith actually adopted Joe Davis? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so someone in the press box was asking me how old Will Smith was uh, over the weekend. And I told him he's 24. He He's a March 28th birthday, which I'm a huge fan of because, you know, a lot of cool people are born that day. Sure. Um, and but someone's like, he's not 24. He looks 12. <laughs> They're just like they were convinced. That, and so we were trying to come up with things like, uh, like things he couldn't do, like he couldn't he couldn't rent a car on the road because he looked so young. But that, it was anyway. Uh, I digress, but yeah, uh, yeah. Joe Davis, uh, not Joe Smith. My apologies. <laughs> the largest lead the Dodgers have had in two thousand uh, had in two thousand seventeen was twenty one games. Can this year's team surpass that? And what will be their biggest lead of the season be? God, yes. Half, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is it, happening. <laughs> it's already at nineteen games, right? So it's happening. Like, uh, so if you look, the Dodgers have 42 games left. If they go 24 and 18, perfectly reasonable, that's a 93 win pace over the full season. That puts them at 103 wins. Right now, the second place team, the Diamondbacks are 500. If, 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 uh, if it's 500 team in second place, it's 81 games. So that's a 22 game lead. Um, I think, like, I think it gets up to 24 at some point. Mm. Uh, that's sort of where I'm at. Like, I look at the Fangraphs projections uh, based on what the teams have done to this point and projected for the rest of the season. They have the Dodgers at 104 wins, the Diamondbacks at 80, the Giants at 79, Padres at 78, Rockies at 75. Man, this is a bad, bad division. Um, but like, um, God, the Rockies should be the second best it's team a, in this it's division. A bad I don't lead, know what they're doing. I think yeah. really, right? Oh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Dodgers are good. Braves are good. Cubs are good-ish, but they're they're more in line with the rest of the the Drex. Second half Nationals um, might be good. Probably exactly, good. that's and the that's thing. Like every every team's flawed. So, but if it's a, if it's those projections, that's a twenty four game finish. So yeah, I, I think the high number is twenty four. But yeah, um, it, they're gonna they're gonna win they're gonna win the division by at least twenty games. I think is the is the final number. I like twenty four. Yeah, well, Jack Bauer was good. It is County Fair time soon in Los Angeles. If you could choose oh, yeah. anything deep fried to eat on a stick, would it be something normally found, like a corn dog or a cheese stick, or would you prefer to get a deep fried dill pickle or an Oreo cookie or Twinkie? Okay, so uh, full disclosure: uh, on Thursday, I went to go see Weird Al with my cousin, and we saw him at the Pacific Amphitheater in Costa Mesa, which is at the Orange County Fair, and the fair was in full swing. Um, so we were walking around and there's so much fried food. It's amazing. Um, I've had, um, I've had a fried Snickers bar before. I, it was one of those, like, I just had, I got to try it. Right. Like mm-hmm. it was weird. Like it didn't seem like it should be fried. So I'm always leery of that. Like it's not always going to work. I would love to try a fried Twinkie. Um, I didn't think about like having like a fried pickle. 
I know I've had fried pickles at like Buffalo Wild Wings, but the the idea of having it like a corn dog, yeah, is yeah. like a little bit of a different texture to me. So I would totally try that. Um, there, we, uh, my cousin and I were sitting down. I actually was weirdly I was full from earlier in the day, so I did not buy any food at the fair. I'll, uh, I showed amazing restraint um, as my cousin was downing a both a bacon pupusa and a bacon wrapped giant sausage. Uh, we sat next to this uh, stand that was, I believe it was, it was called Who Fried My Cheese? And uh, they just had cheese-related uh, everything. And some of the pictures they had, the one that intrigued me the most, uh, which I'd like to try, although I think it sounds weird, is was a mac and cheese egg roll. Um, <laughs> sure. So I, I like, like I said, I'll, I'll try almost anything once. But, yeah, th- those are intriguing. Um I'm trying to think of something else deep fried that like is off the off the wall. Um, the chocolate thing made it weird for me with Snickers. I just don't think it melted right. But uh, that that so maybe I'm gonna turn off from the like chocolatey based things. But um, so, yeah, so I've had it's, it's... everything Craig listed. I have wow. had uh, obviously hot dog and a stick. I've had a lot of cheese sticks and corn dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Rangers Stadium, I had a a hot dog stuffed in a pickle cornmeal breaded and then oh. deep fried oh my um, god all right and they had yeah, the ranger stadium for the carnival texas-esque food alone is worth yes. it a uh, deep fried cinnamon roll that was also at texas stadium Ooh. Uh, right. i've had a twinkie and i've had uh and where i may try to persuade you deep fried oreo cookie i think is my favorite thing on this list it's it's decadent i've i think both times i split it either with one or two other people and that's just, literally just one oreo cookie um because it's it's a one or two bite thing i've had enough but that one or two bites are are perfect did the did the, the i saw the filling like held up well in the frying uh, yeah like the, i mean oreo. it was it, it was a cohesive bite is what i'll say that's that sounds pretty good i i i would i would totally try that and uh, speaking of Weird Al, he, one of his songs, uh, uh, he didn't do it at the concert, but uh, from like 1991-ish, uh, he has a song called The White Stuff uh, to the tune of The Right Stuff by, um, Back, God, uh, that was New uh, Kids, New on, Kids the on the Block. block yeah. And, uh, but yeah, about the, the white stuff in the middle of the Oreo. And that's I a can't hear the song. original uh, not seeing the, the Oreo. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Similarly, uh, uh, Dieter played uh, "Eye of the Tiger" for Tyler White a few times this weekend. Not, not "Eye of the Tiger" for me. That is the "Rye of Kaiser." Oh, that's good. Yeah, that technic- and uh, and also technically called the theme to Rocky Thirteen. Yes, <laughs> which is funny because we're actually up to I think. Well, if you count Creed, we're up to nine, nine Rocky movies. So he's almost there. Uh, so, uh, and real quick to answer the question, I would act corn dog though. A really deep fried corn dog is my pick for favorite fried thing on the stick corn dogs are one of america's finest foods i will agree with you there i love it yeah that that's kind of it uh it was it's funny how like different weeks can feel like there's either no news or a ton of news and this week felt like one of those where we were jam-packed uh thanks for listening everybody uh we'll see what next week brings us